This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, Feeling a little bored? Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor from Radio Times, and this is View From My Sofa, the podcast where every week I sit down with the stars of TV to talk about all things telly. What do they watch? Where do they watch? And who do they watch with? Expect fascinating insights into my celebrity guests' TV habits. What shows do they binge? What do they snack on? What do they loathe? And who really controls the remote on their sofa? This week's guest has been a household name for over two decades, and he's only 33. Daniel Radcliffe found overnight global fame on the big screen as the world's favourite young wizard, Harry Potter. But contrary to all fears and expectations, he has never looked back. Since discarding his wand and cloak, Daniel has consistently surprised fans and critics with success in low-budget indie film, TV dramas and comedies, most recently starring in Weird, the Al Yankovic story. In this episode, Daniel talks to me about handling fame, learning the ropes from the greatest British cast of all time, and deciding to learn to play the accordion. Daniel Radcliffe, welcome to View From My Sofa. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. So let's start off with what is the view from your sofa? Talk me through your living room setup. Um, I mean... I'll be embarrassed if this isn't the case for most people, but the literal view from my sofa is of my TV. <laughs> um, and uh, But then, like, above that, um, so we got really into Lego in the pandemic, uh, particularly early on in the pandemic, as a way to kill... Because we had all these sets that we sort of, like, accrued over the years. Um, and so we were just like, let's, let's just start making these. And... Uh, they're massive once you've built them. So, like, finding somewhere to keep all of them has been a real challenge. Um, so above the, our TV, there's, like, um, the International Space Station, the gates from Jurassic Park, and a T-Rex. Um, so, yeah, that's the view. Very grown up. Yes. What have you been enjoying watching most recently on television? Um, so I've been watching a show called alone i don't actually watch a lot of um narrative uh drama or anything like that um i watch a, a lot of reality tv of various kinds but alone this show alone has really uh become an obsession for me and my partner uh it's basically about 10 contestants get dropped truly alone no camera team nobody else around them they have to film themselves um and they they just have to survive on the land and the person who stays there the longest wins um it's great i think i've seen snippets of that 
it's genuinely people are so impressive. Like it sounds, you know, sort of like oh, that you know, it's. I know it sounds very extreme in some ways. It sounds sort of like a, a, a like oh, of course, reality TV would try that. But it's like all you actually come away with is an incredible respect for what human beings are capable of. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really it's really really cool to watch. Is there a series that you come back to time and time again to rewatch? I mean, Thirty Rock was uh, is is a, a huge favorite of mine. Like. Um, honestly, like all the stuff that I come back to again and again is comedy. So any Alan Partridge, like you can pick any season and I will happily just watch it from start to finish with you. Um, the, I, and, you know, pretty much the same goes for like the office, the English office and the American one. It's also great. Um, but yeah, I, that's most of what I come back to again and again is comedy. And the thing that was actually going back, like, much further the thing that i grew up obsessed with weirdly was the series yes minister and yes prime minister um i i devoured those i thought they were the just the absolute funniest cleverest thing i'd ever watch is there anything that you loathe on the box if it comes on you think just not for me oh i mean yeah but i don't want to like Black anything off necessarily because everyone because everyone likes something because I I watch some absolute like what other people would consider trash TV um, so I don't want to you know uh, be sanctimonious about anybody else's trash TV. <laughs> you know. Who controls the remote in your house? Uh, me if I can find it, um, <laughs> but it's 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 you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Erin and I have actually got, like, quite different uh, tastes. Like, Erin loves watching, like, series and, you know, proper, you know, she's seen all the the good television series in America, Breaking Bad and Mad Men, you know, all those ones that I have not seen start to finish. Um, and so I feel like we, and but I, and my ten, taste is a lot more, like, really just, like, intense kind of boring documentaries um and uh so i think we the, the we often like the happy middle we find is uh, is in various types of reality tv i want to travel back in time now and return to your childhood so you grew up an only child in london with your mother who at the time was a casting agent and your father a literary agent what were you like as a child um you know, quite similar to what I am now in the just like hyper and and quite energetic um, and very talkative. And it's I, I always say like I got really lucky to find a, a job and a and a place where those things were viewed as an asset because um, at mm. school they're really annoying. Like at school, they're <laughs> all my reports said basically the same thing, which is like Dan is nice, but he is kind of irritating to have in class because he will not shut up and he will not shut up to the people around him um and so yeah I, that was and i and i kind of knew that i was like very aware of that as a kid I'm like ah i don't really know what i'm doing in this class but i'm bored i'm gonna start talking um so i think yeah suddenly getting on a film set and being like hearing people talk about my energy as being like a good thing was like oh right okay this is uh this is maybe the the place i want to spend the rest of my life what was your first tv memory the first thing that you can remember watching on tv watching on tv whoa i remember the first thing being like a big deal um like the whole there was like six was it six o'clock at bbc2 used to be like the simpsons into Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, maybe, or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 5.30, went into The Simpsons at 6. And I remember that being, like, the first... That was probably the most important hour of TV in my life. Like, I've never, like, rushed home to watch TV in the way I did for that every every week. Yeah. Now, your first TV appearance was as a young David Copperfield in the BBC's adaptation. How did you land that role? So my... <laughs> My memory of it is that uh, my my dad was really my dad and my agent uh, went to drama school together when they were you know young actors, um, and then they had obviously both stopped being actors and gone into 
various types of agenting. Um, and Sue, my, Sue was round and my mum and dad were talking about how, like, I wasn't, I think, doing particularly well at school and feeling particularly good about myself. Um, and they, and Sue said, well, you know, they're, they're auditioning for David Copperfield at the moment. Maybe you should send him up for that just as a, as a thing that he can have done with no expectation that I would get it, but just as something to mark me out and give me something that the other kids hadn't had, I guess. Um, and so they, I think sort of, yeah. And then I went and did it. Um, and I've since found out what happened was that I walked into the room and I, as a kid, a little bit now when I'm tired, but particularly when I was a kid, had like one slightly lazy eye and like a lazy blink where one eye would go or just one on its own. And so I walked into the room, that happened, and the director thought, who's this confident kid winking at me? <laughs> like, he thought that I... And so he was apparently... And that was like a big thing. He was like, ah, oh, you know, this kid's got some chutzpah. Great. So yeah, my, my little weird lazy eye twitch essentially started my career. Which is brilliant. When <laughs> did that acting dream start for you? Was it on that first set? Um, I don't think it was like ever as concrete as that as a kid. I think my mum and dad were always really good at saying, you know it's great that you like this now, but maybe you won't like it as much one day and that's also fine. Um, and so they sort of left those options open. And But I, I, I very quickly I was aware. I mean, it's funny that I'm doing a musical in New York at the moment and it's I'm in rehearsals with Jonathan Groff and Lindsay Mendez and they, we all started very young um, in, in various things. Um, and we were talking about like, the last day on your first project as a kid is devastating, is truly mm. like, because you've had such an incredible time and you really, you're on some level, you will understand that you will not see all these people again. And that's like a lot for a kid. But mm. it is also a sign of like, I loved it. Like, I absolutely loved being there. And, um, and then so I think I was very aware that like the set and that in some form was the place I wanted to be. I don't think it was really until the third Harry Potter film when I was definite in terms of like, I absolutely want this to be the rest of my life. Um, and, and probably even beyond that really, when I thought of, you know, I, I think at 14, I knew like, I want to be an, I, I want to stay in this industry. And the thing that's going to allow me to do that is to become an actor and to get better at acting because that's what I'm here doing. Um, but I also like now I definitely want to, I would love to direct one day. I would love to do other things. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it was, I was probably honestly until like starting to do Equus and stuff like that, where I started to go, like, okay, maybe I will be able to have a career outside of this in some way. Let's go back to you landing the role of a lifetime and uh a role that would mark your life and hundreds of thousands of people across the globe. And that was obviously Harry Potter. And the story of you being recommended by Maggie Smith for the role, your parents being hesitant about you attaching yourself to a project of that size and longevity, David Heyman seeing you at the theatre and persuading them to allow you to audition. They're all stories that are part of the Potter folklore. <laughs> But those films are a part of many children's childhood. But what series and films mark that era for you? You know, what were you watching during those years? Huh. Um, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to The Simpsons, but they, they were absolutely one of the most formative things of my life. Half the time I'm in America and somebody will say something and I'll say like, oh, yeah, that's that's that, you know, I'll just know a fact. And and it'll be because I learned it on The Simpsons. Um but I think, honestly, the, the films that were, they're not quite spanning the exact length of Potter, but they're really, really close, were the Toy Story movies. Um, and in fact, the, um, the, the Toy Story movies were, uh, I mean, obviously, the first one came out in, what, 96, around then, so I was very, very young, started Potter a few years later, and then uh, two came out around then, and then... The last Toy Story movie came out... Oh, sorry, not the last one. What, Toy Story 3, uh, mm. at the time, I thought, maybe the last, um, came out around the time, I think, that the last Potter was coming out. And we were all, like, 19, 20, 21. Um, and we all were in Florida 
to do stuff for the park, I think, the Harry Potter park that was out there. Um, and so a group of us, and I, I want to say it was like me, Tom, Matt, R- Rupert, maybe the Phelps twins, Jade, Tom's then girlfriend. Um, we we all went to see Toy Story 3 together. And like, I, you know, Jade definitely still reminds me of the, the weeping that we were doing. Well, I think we all, like, it's, I mean, that last scene is such a, so yeah, the, for, for those to be the movies that really trace your childhood to, yeah. Uh, to to sort of semi adulthood is really you couldn't you couldn't wish for a better set for me. I'm I'm yeah, yeah. And the humor really grows with you as well. You yeah. know, I know that there's there's parts of it that are for children, but there is that kind of it tracks that growth as well. Absolutely. And then even to the fourth one, watching that, where you go, like, oh yeah, no, now it's about like being a parent and having kids that have moved on. Like it's 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 yeah, they're, they're just brilliantly clever films. It's a gift that keeps on giving. It is. So you spent your time surrounded by one of the greatest British casts of all time. Did you have any idea in your early days about who you were rubbing shoulders with? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, not at all. I oh, I, Or I did, but only in as much as through my parents, through my parents' <laughs> reaction to, you are working with these people, that's incredible. Um, so, you know, uh, like Maggie Smith, I walked up to on David Copperfield because I had... You know, I heard she was Dame Maggie Smith, and I had a loose knowledge of what that meant. Um, but I walked up to her the first day and was like, "Would you like me to call you Dame?" Which I think is why I endeared myself to her as a eight-year-old or whatever I was, um, because she, I think, just just made her laugh. Um, but yeah, so I, I really did. And Richard Harris, no, the, you know, I was not. I had not seen those kind of films. I loved working with them all and I loved them and they were all so kind to me. Um, but it, it wasn't the kind of, you know, that I would have later or that I've had later about working with, you know, Steve Buscemi on stuff where you just go like, oh no, you're, I, I grew up watching you in stuff like Fargo and Con Air and all these movies. Like I, I did grow up watching. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It sort of happened later. But with those actors, what kind of legacy did they leave over you as an actor? And who would you say had had the biggest impact on you? I know that the first time you felt starstruck was working with Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah. And exactly because he was one of the first people that could... Like that third film, uh, Gary Oldman, Tim Spall and... uh, David Thewlis came in. I watched a bunch of Mike Lee movies that they were all in um, and was just like, you know, completely. You know, and also of Gary, I'd watched uh, Leon by that point and, you know, seen him in The the, the Firm, the English uh, TV movie about um, football violence, not the other one. Um, and... Yeah, I think, so he was one of the, and Sid and Nancy, of course, like I was obsessed with punk music, so I'd watch Sid and Nancy. Um, And so I was like, he was, yeah, that was very, very uh, nerve wracking. But again, he was, ended up being so nice to me. Um, So yeah, he had a big influence, but I would also say like, I really, I love to, like David Thewlis, Imelda Staunton, um, uh, who else? There's just, there's a bunch of people on those films that are amazing actors that also don't take acting too seriously. Like, they know it's a lot of life and death. Like, they can do it, and they can do it as well as anyone. But they don't have to, in any way, you know, make other people's lives unpleasant around them to get to that point. Or, you know, or just act like we're doing some incredibly mysterious, sacred thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I th- those people... I don't know if I said Michael Gambon, but he should also be in that group. Um, yeah, just a healthy, like, brilliant talent but a healthy irreverence as well this episode is brought to you by twizzlers long day late night feeling a little bored twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day no matter what kind of day you're having the perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax unwind with twizzlers to buy now visit hersheyland.com twizzlers 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did they ever recommend you kind of tell you that you should be watching or films that you should go home and watch? Uh, I bet they did. I'm sure Alan Rickman did. Um, I'm sure, I'm, yeah, definitely Alan would have. And actually Alfonso Cuaron, the director of the uh, third movie, like yeah, he he made me he made me watch a bunch of European cinema that I probably was not going to as a fourteen year old English kid, um, which was like uh, what the Four Hundred Blows, and uh, Bicycle Thief, um, yeah, it's still nice, nice, fun, cheerful stuff. <laughs> You've had obviously a very unique childhood that perhaps only kind of Emma and Rupert can can truly understand. Um, was there ever a period where you didn't want to pursue acting? Not really. I think there were times when I was annoyed by annoyed by and not knowing how to handle the sort of fame side of it. Um, but there was never a point where I would have wanted to walk away from being on set. Like I, I yeah, it's just, it's the best place I have found to be, and I I feel so lucky to have found it that I will, yeah fight tooth and claw to to never be dragged off one yeah now a project which broke you away from the potter franchise was equus why did you decide to turn to the stage and were you keen to prove your acting capabilities did you want a different experience as an actor because i'm sure there's a vast difference between stage and, and a film set I mean, I think I, you know, my mum and dad in in their acting careers when they had been actors when they were much younger um, were people who were primarily on stage. So a lot of the stories I heard about acting were them talking about on stage and growing up and then it always sounded really exciting. So I think I knew I always wanted to do that. Um, And I I think it's, if I'm remembering it rightly, it was... um, it was Ken Branagh actually originally pitched Equus as the idea that he he was going to direct it at the time, um, which didn't end up happening. But he had, you know, sort of set the the thing in motion by then. And yeah, I I think it was the knowledge I did know that it, if it went well and it and it had to go well that it would at least, it, that it wasn't going to solve all the like, oh, is he going to be an actor or not questions, but it would be, it would be at least a statement of intent of wanting to do something different and wanting to do things outside of Potter. Um, and it really, you know, it ended up really having that effect and working on stage and working with Richard Griffiths and Thea Sharikar, the person who did end up directing it, was, yeah, was just hugely important for me um, in in my development as an actor and as you know technically and how you approach things but also just as as a matter of confidence as having done something and going oh you can do this without an editor without anything that's going to save you later you must be mm. like okay at some parts of this um so for my own like self-confidence that was i think it was really important in Tom Felton's new autobiography, he talks about a piece of advice that your dad gave him as the filming of Potter concluded. Really? And it was to get himself in as many rooms as possible, in front of as many people as possible. And I wondered if that advice was also imparted to you. Um, yeah, I think a version of it. I don't know if it, I mean, I think the the spirit of that advice is to stay busy mm. um, and, and do things with as many different people as you can. Um because that's what has made me better as well is that because you also, if you try a load of stuff, you'll be like, ah, I didn't enjoy that so much or I was less good at that or, oh, that is something that I actually think I kind of excelled at and was was good at. Like, how can I find ways of doing more of that or doing a different version of that? Or, you know, you and also people push you in different ways. So if you there's a thing that happens, I think, after Potter where everyone assumed that 
people would want to just see us as these kids from the franchise. And I think there's there's a certain amount of truth to that. And I'm sure there were a lot of directors out there who would look at me and go, oh, I, I don't want the kid who played Harry Potter in my movie because it'll be distracting and everyone will just be thinking about Harry Potter. Um, I totally accept that, that that's out there. But for every one of those, there's also somebody like John Krakidas, who directed me and Killia Darlings, who met me and was like, oh, cool, I get to like be the person that reinvents you or be the person that shows you in a different light. Or, you know, the Daniels who were like, oh, you'll, you know, I get to, we get to show you as a, a farting corpse jet ski for the first scene of this movie. Um, you know, it, those are the things that, uh, yeah, I think you, by exposing yourself to as much as possible, I think that that's how that happens, yeah. Well, I mean, that leads nicely to my next question, because it seems your range of work since Potter has solidified that you are incredibly diverse, Um, you know, from Woman in Black to What If to Horns. Did you want to try your hand at everything? And was there a genre that you felt you particularly wanted to explore? I mean, comedy was the stuff that I, especially, you know, it'll be no surprise based on all the TV shows I named earlier. But um, but yeah, comedy is the thing that I love watching. And, and honestly, it is the thing I, I love making the most. I have really good fun doing most of the jobs that I do. But, um, but you know, it's more fun when, when, when your purpose in your, your days just to go to work and uh make people laugh it's just it's a very nice existence um so uh yeah and i i do think but but i'm still interested in everything like i don't if the story's good enough then I, there's no genre that i wouldn't want to be involved in um i and i do think as an actor you get well i think i get way too much credit for doing so much different stuff because i think it's what most actors would want to do if they had the kind of freedom Mm -hmm. that I have. Um, But yeah, just being able to like jump from horror to weird genre comedies to like rom-coms to, you know, prison break stuff is, uh, yeah, it's very satisfying. What project do you think has pushed you most outside of your comfort zone? Honestly, the the musical that I did 10 years ago was 100%. That was... I did not know how that was going to go. Um, and for that reason, it also became one of the most satisfying things I've ever done. I think the same might be true of the one we're, we're currently rehearsing. Um, and then also I, I'd say Swiss Army Man again, just because I never had, I've never had less idea what I'm doing until like starting shooting. Like before I can at least like in most things I can practice the scenes or, you know, have an idea of what I'm going to do. And with this one, I was just like sending videos of my face to the directors being like, does this look like how a dead person would speak? Does this look like what a dead person's face would do if then, cause it, cause it's not a zombie we're doing. It's just some sort of other magical type of dead person. So what is that? And I really like, I felt very, very at sea until I got there. And then as soon as I mm. got there, was working with the directors you go like oh they know exactly what they want you just have to help them execute it so let's talk about swiss army man it is my favorite of your work oh cool it seems to me you have an eye for the unique and for originality so for those who don't know you play a gassy corpse but underneath Mm -hmm. its wacky brilliance there is a really beautiful message about humanity and human connection yeah what draws you towards certain projects and what messages do you want your audiences to be told especially with that film yeah i mean there is actually like there's not really a theme, but there's sort of it like with Swiss Army Man and Weird and um, the the show Miracle Workers that I do, which is sort mm-hmm. of there's a there is a kind of there's a thing in all of them, which is that they're bizarre and sort of stupid and gross and weird, but also incredibly earnest and sweet and kind. <laughs> um, and that's sort of yeah, that's really the 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 tone i like to try and operate in um and with swiss army man particularly you know you can only be as insane and stupid as the daniels who the directors are if you are also as brilliantly intelligent and smart and insightful as they are. Um, and, you know, if if that if the whole film had just been 
farting corpse, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it. Like, it's a, fu- <laughs> it's a fun premise, but it's not a movie. Um, but, you know, watching how then they un- they t- take that start <laughs> and turn it into something genuinely moving and funny and heartfelt was just, uh, yeah, as soon as you were reading that as a script, I was just like, yeah, I want to be a part of this. This is incredible writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it felt it felt like Beckett to me. It felt like that it was in that world of just mm. like, yeah, this is obviously the, the, the surface is insane, but what's underneath is incredible. Um, and, you know, guns, but it don't, don't all have to be like that. Guns Akimbo is really just about a guy with guns for hands. Um, there doesn't always have to be a deeper meaning. Some things can just be fun. Um, but yeah, like what, getting to, to any time you get to tell a story that in some way, like uh, the, the spirit of, of Swiss Army Man is the idea that like shame and shame about our bodies or, or, or you know, represented in the film by farts um, keeps us from love. Um, and, you know, to, I don't know, to get to, be in a movie that makes that point is just seems so um exciting what kind of culture and television books films do you consume and what interests you for example before kill your darlings were you a fan of ginsburg and beat poets i wasn't like a fan of i knew of them i had read a, a lot i mean i'd read the the main you know sorry but the main books by Kerouac and Burroughs and I'd read a lot of Alan Ginsberg's poems and I'd been like intoxicated by the first few lines of Howl um but I wasn't like it wasn't the poetry that spoke to me like that I I got really really into Tony Harrison at school I don't know if you ever had to study him or anything but like he's a a, a poet from um, the north of England and uh, he he is in my opinion, like the, the greatest poet of the the certainly the second half of the twentieth century, like he writes about um, everything, but like love and class, but in in rhyming metric, like incredible poetry. Um, and uh, so, like I wasn't massively into into the 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 free verse stuff. Um, in terms of like other things, I'm. Cons- Consuming. I mean, like, I, I do love reading. I get really bad at reading whenever I'm on a job, but then read voraciously when I'm not. Um, so just before I started this job, I was uh, had got halfway through, um, and I really want to get back to it, actually, because I was really into it, um, a book called Thunderstruck by Eric Larson. Um, Eric Larson's like a historical uh, nonfiction writer, but they read like thrillers some of them like he wrote the devil in the white city um and he did a book um he did a book called uh in the garden of beasts about the run-up to second world war in um germany but this one is about marconi and the invention of wireless and uh uh crippen a famous serial killer and how their stories like intersect so i'm i'm so i'm not they haven't intersected yet so i don't know how but i'm very excited to find out i want to talk to you about um, how your work kind of takes you all over the world. And I guess it's it's a perk of the job and I'm sure it also comes with its challenges. But Jungle was shot in South America. The Lost City um, was in the Dominican Republic. Where has been your favourite place to shoot on location? I mean, Dominican Republic was pretty great. Uh, it, it was because also we were there... Jungle was wonderful, but Jungle was a much smaller film. So it had like much smaller resources in terms of like the ease of shooting was like, it, that was very tough. Lost City had like some money. So they, there was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was very, very sort of comfortable living and, mm. and everything while we were there. Um, but yeah, though, like those are amazing. I love, I love shooting in Australia as well. Like I've got to shoot there a, a few times and New Zealand. And in fact, New Zealand would probably be one of my favorite, even though we were just filming in, um, uh, well, uh, Auckland. Um, we were just mostly in the city, but we got out a bit and it, it just, it's because New Zealand is so beautiful, but so far away. So whenever a job like takes you there, you're like, yeah, I mean, I would probably do a really bad movie to get to go to New Zealand. Um, uh, yeah, but no, it is, it, it's definitely, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it spoils you. Like it definitely, like you get to go to a lot of very nice places. With Jungle, which I loved, I hadn't actually seen it and I went back and watched it and the whole way through 
you're on the edge of your seat and then the end comes and obviously I'm not going to give any spoilers but you're also like whoa what yeah yeah but I wondered did the kind of humidity and the area where you shot impact your performance I mean either in in a good way but also surely that was unbearable well, it was also it was also the fact that I wasn't eating um, was and I don't want to do like a, a actor uh, press tour, you know, oh, I got so skinny and I'm such a good actor because of it thing, because that's really boring um, and damaging, honestly. Um, but um, it's uh, yeah, like I, I also wouldn't have felt like. Like I'm working with somebody at the moment who is playing a very glamorous character and she's wearing very glamorous clothes in every day because she's just like, I would feel weird trying to be this person just in my own stuff. Um, for me, it's the same thing. Like I, I, I was eating a small amount of food, but I was eating, you know, I just, I didn't want to be, it would be hard to play starving and to play, to feel like you were honoring Yossi's story if I was just going home and having a massive steak every night. Like, I, I'm not a good enough actor to do that. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I uh, it, it, it was hard, but it was also, you were in there with so many other people. And I will say that uh, filming, we filmed in Colombia and we did get one of the most stunningly beautiful like on location moments ever um which is why i remember that i, I learned the spanish word for butterfly on this day because uh, it which is mariposa because the guy who said it to me thinks it sounded like harry potter and that made him laugh um but then also like as we were walking to set it was just one of those things that you see in like planet earth where just like 500 yellow butterflies are just like swarming in a circle as you sort of like walk through them um so yeah that's yeah that was that was very very cool speaking of weird shoots you also spent 40 hours shooting underwater what was that like and are you a strong swimmer i'm not does it require strong swimming no, it, you, I cannot swim. Like, to this day, I can't tread water. I can't really, like, float very well. Um, so, like, it's it's my girlfriend used to be a lifeguard. She's very concerned, always. But, like, it's, no, the, uh, I you know, you've got fins on, so you can sort of swim around quite easily. And I had, like, for Harry, I had, like, webbed hands. So, like, you got a lot of help from the swimming. Um, and, yeah, I can swim underwater fine, and, and I'm totally not, I'm not like panicked when a scuba stuff. I can do all of that and like really enjoy all that. Um, but yeah, put me on the surface and ter- but it is it, it's one of the coolest things to do is film with a full underwater crew because it does just look like a normal film set, but just submerged. There's just people moving around, moving lights. Like it's a really weird. I'm 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 so glad I don't have to do it regularly, but I'm very glad I got to do it once. You've also shown that you have a natural gift for comedy and you're not afraid to send yourself up. I'm thinking about your guest appearance in Extras. But also your comedic performance in the TV series A Young Doctor's Notebook and Miracle Workers. What skill does comedy take and how has it pushed you as an actor? Because it is it is a different muscle, isn't it, to dramatic acting? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, especially in like a lot of the comedies. I do, there will be like a sudden turn towards dramatic acting, like Young Doctor's Notebook being a perfect example of something that's like both very silly and oddball and, and but also like has some very dark moments. I love all that sitting side by side. Um, the thing I think I love about comedy and, and about watching people who are really good at it is um, because it's a mixture of silliness and like, precision and watching people watching like there's again an actor i'm working with on this show at the moment who's like just a a brilliant american comedic actor and and watching him figure out which word to use in a line or workshop something it's really it's it's incredible and i think that the thing that was the most beneficial for me in doing comedy was doing the the musical 10 years ago because that was a, a pretty broad comedy and just getting the chance to go out there night after night and figure out like, why is that not, jo- why is that joke not working? Why, what can we do to make a moment land better? You know, is, um, yeah, it's really, really fun. Yeah. And that must be rewarding as well with a live audience because you never yes. know, even if one night it's funny, it might not be the next night and you need to work right. out why or respond to. Exactly. And also, yeah. And so much of it is just about 
Yeah, no, no, I was about to get into like weird comedy theories I have, and it's like we don't have time for that. <laughs> Your role in Imperium, um, you play an FBI agent who goes undercover and infiltrates a neo-Nazi organization. It's scarily realistic, especially given the current context of the news and the rise in anti-Semitism. How important is it that art reflects reality? And how do you go about preparing and researching for a role like that? Um, I think it's important that some art does. Uh, this is obviously a really obvious thing to say. I don't think it all needs to. Um, I, you know, and, and when I find myself involved with, like, when I find myself given the chance to, like, tell a story like that that is important that, and that I genuinely feel I can bring, bring a, a good sort of, you know, authenticity to, to how we're telling it. Um, then yeah, I will always like jump at the chance to make something that is, um, but the, the other thing I would say about Imperium is it's also like a thriller. It's also like a ticking clock mm. thriller the whole time as well. And so I feel like it was those things sitting side by side again that was like yeah you get to talk about this issue and deal with this but it's also a really good movie that is gonna i don't think i don't think you can make a really worthy film and it not be a entertaining in some way without and i just don't think the message if you're trying to communicate one will go in mm. um so yeah and i also think that there is uh you know it's great that some films do that but then the most yeah, I've had so many people come up to me over the years and talk about Potter as being like, you know, an escape and and just somewhere else to go. Mm. Uh, my friend who's had multiple, countless spinal surgeries over the years often has to lie flat on his back for a long time after them. And he just gets them to play the Lord of the Rings movies on like full director's cut, start to finish on the ceiling. Um, and, you know, I think there's, it's sometimes it's great for art to sort of shake people and, and make people aware of things. But it's also, it's really, really important. It's, it's responsibility to let people escape as well. Speaking of escapism, let's come on to your most recent film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I watched. And is, so it's weird, the Aoyankovic story. And it is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in the cinema. <laughs> I was at a packed press screening and there was basically no seats left. In the UK? In the UK. Right, yeah. And I think it was probably one of the first ones. And the audience were howling. Amazing. It was a visceral, like, riotously funny, extreme, bizarre, abstract <laughs> kind of film. Um, that's my review. I love that. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. I was going to say, we, I want to put that on a poster. Thank you. You can take it. I'll, I'll transcribe it for you. For those who don't know, can you tell me what oh. the film is about? Oh. oh, dear. Good luck. There's so much context <laughs> that's required. Um, so I'm just going to assume that people know a little bit about Weird Al. Um, is an American singer-songwriter uh, extraordinaire parody artist um and uh, i received the script first and i got like you know i had the email saying you you, you play weird al and the al the story and i was like i mean i'm a fan of weird al but i i know like what he looks like for a start so i feel like i'm quite far away from that um and then i read the first couple of pages and i was like oh right what else could this movie have been but a parody of biopics um so like it is essentially like it is both it's sort of like the first third semi functions as a decent ish biopic for for uh, weird al and then after that we sort of go off the rails a bit al saw um i think he said it was like bohemian rhapsody and Rocket Man, and I think it was another one, but he saw like quite in quite close succession. And um, he phoned up our director, who Eric, and he'd basically gone, I, you know, I guess you can just lie about your life. So let's like make a movie. Um, so yeah, it is the you know unassailably true story of of the life of Weird Al Yankovic. But uh, yeah. yeah, go and decide for yourselves. For those who. Um... Some people might go and see it and and be fooled. I hope so. But when Enter Madonna, 
that's when things you you start to think. I think I probably would have known about that. I mean, I think they. I think there are moments earlier than that, and I think that's one too. But I've still seen people say like, "Well, you know, there weren't really any. There weren't those many cameras back then. You don't know. Maybe that was going on. You don't know what was going on behind the scenes." So there's there's a there's a a hilarious amount of. I think in the first few days after the trailer came out, one of the top Google searches were like. Was Weird Al and, and Madonna a thing? Um, which is, as as the people who have, you know, been involved in making the film, this is really the ideal uh, result. Yeah, we love the internet. How did you get the role? <laughs> it it was just that they sent um, they sent a script, um, and I immediately I was like, oh, I love what this is doing here, what the joke is, um, and and then uh, had a Zoom with Al and. Eric, the the writer director, um, and he yeah, was very clear. I, I was already in, having read the script, but talking to them, you go, "Oh, you are also lovely human beings, and would be very nice to make a film with Lily." And I want to throw it back to this is something that I remember going around on YouTube and being sent as a as a teenager. But your performance on Jimmy Fallon's talk show is iconic. Did that play a part in your casting? So I that was well, that was a thing that I had learned because um, somebody who I've been talking to, I, I was just like, yeah, I like any song that like goes fast, and they were like, oh, there's this one, and in me, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I have to learn this, um, and then. I had mentioned it in an interview and then I, when I did the pre-interview for Jimmy Fallon, they were like, can you really do that? And I was like, yeah, well, I'm absolutely not going to do it on the show. And they were like, well, the roots would be like playing with you. And I was like, okay, well, that's not something that you're going to get offered again in your life. So, uh, so I did it and I was really, I was very, I was really happy. I was very happy. I did. It was, uh, it's, you know, sometimes being a massive nerd about words can <laughs> pay off and be cool. Um, so you're also very into rap so what does music mean to you and did that draw you towards the project I think yeah I had um, I mean music's been a huge part of my life since I'd say really like nine or ten I remember sort of getting my first singles and I remember talking to you know, on the first Harry Potter film was the year that the Beatles one album came out and so like that was on in the car all the time. And yeah, there was just a very steady uh, infusion of, of as much music as possible going straight into my uh, brain. Um, and with this, you know, I, I grew up listening to a guy called Tom Lehrer, who was a comedian songwriter of the sort of um, you know, 60s. And uh, I think there's, there's kind of, there's a link between them and Al. They're very much in the same world of both silly and smart. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and when by the time I came to do the project, I'd been a fan of Al's for like 10 years. My girlfriend was, and her whole family are huge Al fans. Um, I was actually able to take them to a concert the other day to, to you know, uh, surprise them with it, which was great. Um, but yeah, it's it, that... But so she would play Weird Al stuff all the time. Um, so yeah, by the time I was offered it, I was like a legitimate fan and was uh, very, very intimidated by the prospect of like playing somebody that I've never played someone. I'm a fan. I've played real people before, but I've never played someone like I'm a fan of. So yeah, mm. that was slightly intimidating. Did you have to sing on set? I know that the songs are dubbed by Al, but did you have to sing? And did you have to learn yeah. the accordion? I didn't have to learn the accordion. I did choose to try and learn the accordion. How did that go? Pretty badly. I mean, it, I took a few, I did a few lessons and actually I got so much further than I thought I was going to get after my first lesson. Um, and I got far enough that I feel would feel dumb stopping completely. So I'm, I do still pick it up occasionally and I'll probably keep doing a lesson very every now and again. Um but because I, I used to, I played piano when I was a very young kid and gave it up and have always been annoyed at myself since. So I feel like, you know, I should uh, keep trying with this. Um, but the lip syncing, um, I was, I was fully singing on set. I, I, I don't know if I don't have the skill to like be able to lip sync, but with the energy of full singing. Um, so yeah, I was, I was doing a lot of singing, but uh, no need for the world to hear that. Thankfully. <laughs> Okay, we're going to move on to the music quiz. I'm going to play you three theme tunes. Okay. 
And um, if you could guess what they are, I've oh, been so very kind with okay. the songs that I've chosen. Don't say that now if I don't get them. <laughs> okay, true. But if you don't get this one, I think the world will be upset. Oh. Okay, number one. Okay, 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 okay. Phew. <laughs> it's The Simpsons. It's The Simpsons. Yeah. Okay, number two. Friends. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Thank you. You have been kind on me. Is this <laughs> yeah. is this one more? Is this the obscure one that I'm not going to get? I really hope you get this. Oh, this God. is number three. Oh, incredible theme tune. Actually got it on my iPod as a, as a song on its own. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Bo- Bojack Horseman. Yes, and you got that in two seconds. Good, yeah. I mean, it's a very distinctive, yeah. Yes, you've passed with flying colours. Great, oh, thank God for that. We have a very quick fire question round, oh, cool. um, which is, I'll just ask you quick fire questions. First answer that comes to your mind. Okay. Most challenging role you've ever had? Uh, Pierpont Finch, the, the musical. Favourite project you've been a part of? Swiss Army Man. Acting inspiration? Oof, um... Imelda, Staunton, but you could really pick any of them, yeah. Snack of choice whilst watching TV? Ice cream. <laughs> what flavour? I'm uh, probably some sort of like salted caramel, dolce de leche, something, haagen Yeah. haagen so, Or maybe something with some crunch in as well, yeah. Mm. Guilty pleasure? Uh, the uh, Bachelor and Bachelorette. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> Running commentary or silent watching? I mean, it depends who I'm with, but like if it's me and Aaron running commentary. Okay. Final question. You've done lots of low budget indie projects. We've seen you kind of dip your toe back into the big budget film scene with The Lost City. What's next for you? Um, Next is this musical, and that will take me to the end of January um, and then Miracle Workers will be coming out but I don't I honestly don't have any plans after that I have got a it's been a kind of a, a, a great but very very hectic sort of year and a bit so mm. I might just genuinely take some time off and I'm not saying that to avoid telling you what I'm doing I'm, I'm really hoping it's the actual truth <laughs> I hope we'll also see some writing and directing from you yeah that would be uh, that point. would be the dream yeah I, I really hope so fingers crossed Well, Daniel, thank you so much for welcoming us to your sofa. Thank you. Um, And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, that has been really, really lovely. Thank you. If you'd like to see Daniel's latest film, you can watch Weird, the Al Yankovic story on the Roku channel and via the Roku app on Sky Q and Now. Before we bring this week's episode to a close, I just wanted to thank all of the listeners who have taken the time to write into us with their comments and feedback. As always, we can't wait to hear from you, so do email us on podcast at radiotimes.com. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode, and please do leave us a rating and review.